Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. My name is Dewey Doval, and it is a delight to be back for what should be a very insightful episode for our listeners who are either currently serving in pastoral ministry or who may be desiring to do so in the future. The subject for today's show is faithfulness in pastoral ministry, and there are few men more equipped to speak to this subject than Brian Croft. And he just so happens to be the guest for today's show. Brian, welcome to the Covenant Podcast, brother. So excited to have you on today. Good to be on. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. I've really been looking forward to this interview for several weeks now, and I've been following your ministry for quite some time. So uh, very blessed by the work the Lord has allowed you to do over the years. Um, But since you are a first time guest on the Covenant podcast, just thinking about those who may not be familiar with who you are and, and what the Lord has allowed you to do in serving him, would you be willing to share a little bit about yourself just by way of getting our conversation rolling? Maybe uh, a little bit about your upbringing, your testimony, any educational experience or ministry experience as well that you feel led to share uh, would be greatly appreciated for our listeners. Sure. So I grew up in a Methodist church that uh, did not preach the gospel. And so I heard the gospel at 13 years old at a youth lock-in where a couple of, uh, some college students came up and I heard the gospel for the first time there and, and uh, was just moved by it. And the Lord saved me that day. I turned to Christ at 13 in my church that didn't preach the gospel through a group of college students who did, who came out and, and, and did that for a weekend lock-in. And so, uh, but I stayed in that church. My family stayed in that church. And uh, it was, so it was a hard situation to grow up in mm. because I was not discipled well. Uh, my parents became believers around the time I did. Uh, and and so growing up, I, I knew I loved Jesus. I loved people, but I didn't know his word. I didn't, I wasn't mm-hmm. discipled well. And I went to college that way and was be, got discipled for the first time while I was at college. I went to Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I was there two years. And then while I was there, I felt to call in the ministry mm-hmm. of some kind. Didn't know how to sort through it. And didn't have a didn't have a pastor, didn't have a, a mentor in that way. And so, but I had an opportunity to go on staff at a church when I was 20 years old back in uh, southern Indiana, which is finished my undergrad at, at IU at Indy University and went on staff at a church when I was 20. And I was on staff, I've been on staff at a church every day of my life for the next 25 and a half years after that. So wow. I did uh, tw- eight years of associate pastor work and I'd staff at churches. And then I became the senior pastor of a place called Auburndale Baptist Church, which is on the south end of Louisville, Kentucky. Mm. And that's where a big part of my ministry, uh, my, my uh, ministry story, and that I went to a dying church, uh, about 30 elderly people uh, in very classic, just dying Baptist church. And mm. um, the church was, uh, the building was falling down around them. They were in financial shambles, probably just two or three years from closing. So wow. I called to go there. I was married by that time, married to Kara. I've been married for 26 years and I have four kids. Praise God. And we, My wife and I felt called to go to this church and we knew it'd be a tough place, but we didn't realize how tough it would be. So the short version is there were three different movements to get me fired in the first five years of the church. Uh, mm. There were threats of violence against me. Uh, the church, the pastoral search team that hired me within three years, they each had gone out into the community slandering my name. And, uh, and at the end of those five years, I, um, the church ran out of money. So the bank account hit zero and that was my sole, that was my sole income. And at five years, I began to start having health issues 
at the ripe age of 34 years old. Mm. And the docs eventually diagnosed it from the accumulated stress of those five years. And so there's a lot more to that story, but, but I ended up staying at the church, almost had to leave because of my health, but I stayed in year six, the ship just turned. And in year six, God started to bless the church and the church uh, flourished for the next 10 plus years after that. And I stayed there for 17 years until I transitioned from there about two and a half years ago to lead practical shepherding and practical mm. shepherding is the ministry I lead now. And that started really in the early years of just mentoring and training young guys for the ministry in my own church context. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing, uh, all of that background, Brian, I, I'm very familiar with your work and labors at Auburndale, but uh, hearing just kind of your testimony, very similar to mine, I actually grew up in a United Methodist church as well, uh, identified as a believer, but didn't know the Lord till I was 17, uh, came to Saving Faith as a senior in high school, didn't get discipled for the first time or get plugged into a local church until in college, which is there uh, around year two, uh, just like your story where the Lord uh, put it upon my heart to pursue a life devoted to pastoral ministry. And um, man, it's just so cool to hear uh, other believers' stories and, and seeing how the Lord's hand is on our lives. But as I mentioned, uh, just by way of introduction, the topic of today's conversation is faithfulness and pastoral ministry. And for those who listen to our program, predominantly seminary students, aspiring pastors, current pastors, or even godly lay people in the local church, I think this is going to be a subject that really hits home and really has pretty significant application to the bulk of our listener base. So, Brian, maybe just to get started in, in the realm of what we're going to be talking about for the rest of our time today, with your experience in pastoral ministry and in ministry as a whole, with your uh, background in education and your understanding of, uh, of the pastorate, how would you go about defining faithfulness? And, and from a practical level, what are some marks of faithfulness that you would identify in pastoral ministry? I would first start by saying what is not faithfulness, and that is it is not measuring success on things like numbers and money and th those kind of shallow approaches that we are told in many of our church circles. That's how you measure success. Do you have more people than you had before? Do you have more money than you had before? And and that's I just don't see that anywhere in the New Testament as a measure of faithfulness. So I, I, I usually like to start there, Dewey, because that's that's oftentimes the most pastors feel the pressure of that. And somehow I'm not seen as successful if I don't mm. have increased numbers and increased money and resources and all those things. Right. So I'll first start there. So I believe faithfulness is doing what God has called you to, and the, and the calling of a pastor is incredibly clear from the New Testament. Mm -hmm. You have 1 Peter 5 that says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That's the call of a pastor. That's that's Peter writing to, as a, as a he calls himself an elder, right. to other elders. I mean, it doesn't get any clear on what a call of a pastor is. It's shepherding the flock of God that is among you. Mm -hmm. So that group, that flock you've been given. You have Paul writing to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, verse 28, that says, you know, pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock. So the call of a pastor is really twofold. It's not just shepherding the flock, but it's also paying careful attention to yourself, caring mm -hmm. for yourself, watching your own life and doctrine. So faithfulness is walking in that call on a daily, on a daily basis. So it's 
The call is to shepherd the flock. That is the umbrella of the calling of a pastor. And I say that because a lot of guys want to say that, well, preaching is the primary calling of a pastor. Mm. Actually, it's not. Preaching is a big part of it, but shepherding is the primary call. Shepherding on behalf of the chief shepherd. That's the umbrella. Now, preaching falls under that, and it's a mm -hmm. big uh, part of, of that, but it is not, it's, it doesn't have its sole purpose. It is part of shepherding that congregation. So faithfulness is shepherding God's people. And I think when you connect Hebrews 13, 17 to that, mm. where, where we will give an account for souls who are under our care, I think faithfulness is shepherding individual people in your church as if you will give an account for their souls to the chief shepherd one day. That's faithfulness. Now, the problem is that's not glamorous. Right. That's hard to measure. And so in, in our culture, we love to try to measure everything on how are we successful? Are we a failure? We bring in so many of our, you know, business practices and measuring things. And it's just the church is different. Pastoral ministry is different. So faithfulness is caring for that flock God's given you until he releases you from caring for that flock. And so trying to measure that means you have to measure it, not by superficial means, but you have to measure it by spiritual fruit. So mm. when you're shepherding the flock, you're caring for souls. Are you seeing people grow spiritually? Are you seeing people turn to Christ and depend on him in suffering and struggle? And you get to preach and minister publicly and privately. That That's what faithfulness is. And that's what a pastor is supposed to do and leave the results to God ultimately. Amen. No, that's very well said. And it, it is a weighty burden to shepherd the people of God. It, it will cost you your life uh, to be faithful and to not live and die by, uh, is the budget increasing? Is the membership role increasing? Uh, are our programs flourishing? But to be content with, with the ordinary means of grace and with, with tending to one's family well, tending to one's local church well, as you just mentioned. Um, and I wonder if that might be why we're seeing a rise in um, pastors leaving the ministry today, either due to burnout, uh, moral failings, uh, other matters that are just causing them to, to throw their hands up and say, I'm done with this. I wonder if it's because um, too many men are not measuring faithfulness in a way that's consistent with, with how you've defined it as revealed in Scripture. Um, and that really segues into my next question that I want to ask you based on that subject. Um, based on what faithfulness is in ministry, uh, how do you believe we can avoid, uh, whether it be through our training or, or whether it be through um, discipleship or what have you, how can we help men uh, avoid placing themselves in positions where they're leaving the pastorate, where they're burning out, where uh, they're failing to live up to the uh, biblical mandate for being an under-shepherd of Christ's church? Obviously, not perfectly, but um, how, can we, how can we prevent the, the continued rise in what we're seeing in pastors leaving the ministry? Yeah, well, the first thing I feel compelled to say in regard to that is, especially in light of what I just said, is that my 17 years as pastor of Auburndale, the average, our average membership was, it was stayed about 75 members. Mm. So I, I, our annual budget was $120,000, like annual budget. So I, I just, I want to, I want to share that because a lot of guys hear me say that and think I, I must pastor a thousand person church. And, and, and I don't, I pastored a normal, what we call a normative sized church, right. which most of your listeners probably pastor that church. So that's, I do first want to want to say that. And then I'll, I'll, I'll add this to it to answer your question. And that is, I think one of the reasons for burnout is that pastors get unnecessarily discouraged by things 
that shouldn't be a discouragement to them. In other words, you know, I, I have 50 people and something's wrong. I should have 120. Hmm. So I, why isn't God financially blessing our ministry? Dewey, there was no, without exception, there was never a year where I didn't cry out to God, go, will you please give us more money? Right. Like, you, you know, I will use it well. Can we, will you please just give <laughs> us some, because we were strapped every year, you know, but, but you know what? That's what God gave us. And that, mm. that's what I was supposed to steward. So I, I first want to say, I think burnout and discouragement in the ministry is often because we, are, we do not have the proper way of evaluating the fruit of our ministry. So I would start there and encourage guys to realize, you know, God's just not impressed with, with our numbers. Mm-hmm. And so too many pastors get discouraged because they don't have as many people or as much money or, or as much influence or whatever, whatever they're wanting in that way. So I think having the proper expectation of what is fruitful ministry and what are the things we're to be evaluating our ministry from that should be encouraging us. Just a quick example, dude. I mean, I, I work with several thousand pastors a year with our ministry now, mm-hmm. and it is a normal conversation I have. When a pastor calls me so discouraged that he doesn't believe God's at work at all and he's ready to quit. And usually that conversation within 30 to 45 minutes, I have I have gotten him to acknowledge that God is at work. He's got tangible ways to measure that. It's just not the ways he's typically measuring it. Right. So that expectation is a big part of it. A second reason there's a lot of burnout is that pastors are functioning, well, two, I'll say two things. The burnout rate is one, because ministry is just hard, man. It sure. just is. I don't care where you do it. It's the nature of the call. I think Second Corinthians 4 give us a picture that we're dying a little bit every day for the sake of the flock. It is a unique mm-hmm. death that a pastor goes through. I think a missionary has the same similar kinds of call. So ministry is just hard. I don't care where you do it. I don't care how encouraging it is. It's just you're, you're bearing burdens and struggles with other people and bearing your own. Right. But the second reason, though, that burnout exists is because most pastors are doing their ministry in a way that is unsustainable long term. Hmm. So if you're doing ministry in a way that's just unsustainable, you're acting like Superman. You're trying to do the job of three people and you're one person. So I would say one of the main reasons for burnout, man, is that uh, pastors just don't know how to embrace their humanity. They don't, have, they don't know how to embrace their limitations. I'm one person. This is all I can do. And that's okay. That's enough. And instead, they try to be so much more than what they are. And, and they just can't do it. It's unsustainable to do ministry that way. And I think that guys who pastors not knowing how to take care of themselves is what leads to pastors flaming out. And that's very helpful to think through. And what I really appreciate about your ministry, Brian, among other things, just how effectively you use a platform like Twitter to encourage men in the ministry to press on, rest in Christ, trust that God will use your ordinary struggles and labors for his glory and for the building up uh, of his people. Don't resign. It's Monday. That's that's one of your go-to uh, quotes there. And I love that was today. That was today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and I love that about you because you, you have a very sober-minded perspective. And I think more pastors, especially me as, as a young man and, and only having now three years of ministry under my belt uh, vocationally, um, that's something that I think we need to keep in mind, have a realistic expectation of our humanity um, and, and of the, the rigors and the grind of ministry. Uh, it should be embraced, but it should also be embraced um, 
with a with a realization that I am a I'm completely dependent on the grace of God for every aspect of this ministry. And even as he sustains me, um, it's going to be hard. There's going to be times where uh, we face discouragement or trials or hardships in the church, um, but we press on with our eyes on Christ. Um, and, and we remind ourselves that our ways of measuring faithfulness in ministry, um, they're not necessarily the ways that the world measures what would be faithfulness or success. Certainly not what uh, much of the seeker sensitive uh, realms of, of uh, American Christianity would go about measuring success or faithfulness as well. But um, I'll go ahead. I was say, I think we all have to at how much so many of us have drank deep from from the church growth fountain mm. and it has shaped our understanding of ministry. And I'm talking about those of us who would act like we push back on it, you know, that we would say we don't care about numbers. But I just find that a lot of we just it's become so much of a of of just the culture of our Christianity, especially in North America, yeah, that it's a it big that bigger is better. We we just we're told that in every aspect of our life, so it has to be counterintuitive to 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 push against that. But I, I believe we have to, otherwise it leads to this unrealistic and just I think wrongful expectation that we put on ourselves for ministry. And mm -hmm. and by the way, Twitter, man, I appreciate the encouragement, but like I'll be I'll be confession to make like. I mean, Twitter, I think, is one of the biggest dumpster fires on the planet. <laughs> However, I'm on it because somehow we figured out how to use social media in a ministry context that can actually be helpful to you. Because if you can figure that out, great, because you can reach people in a way. So I'm on it because God, by his grace, helped us figure out a way to do it. But but anybody who follows me knows I, I do not like I, I I do Twitter with ministry stuff like that. I do not comment on world events and things going sure, on and politics. Sure. And as a matter of fact, I've been, I've been criticized by some because our platform has grown on social media. Like, Hey, you have an obligation to say something. And I look at them and go, I have an obligation to do nothing on social <laughs> media. Right. So I don't know what rule book you're looking at, <laughs> but I have seemed to keep myself out of trouble because I stay in my lane. Well, you're a wise man, brother. Uh, but keep using, keep using social media the way you are using it. Cause you are making a difference. Um, but in any case, let me say this, and you even alluded to it in in your uh, just kind of overview of your ministry experience and background. Sometimes faithfulness in ministry does come with a cost. Uh, sometimes pastors who are faithful to God's word and their doctrine, their lifestyle, their shepherding care in their local church context, or even on the mission field, sometimes they're just ran out of their ministry context, uh, and they've they've poured themselves into that ministry context for so many years. Um, blood, sweat, tears, prayers, the whole gamut, just just completely invested into the context God calls them into. Uh, but essentially, they, they're they ran out, they're fired, they, re, they have to resign. I know you've even sh shared some prayer requests uh, anonymously, of course, through Twitter about people who just are pretty much asked to resign for no reason given. Um, Brian, how can we think through situations like this and what counsel would you give to aspiring and current pastors that may wind up getting fired as a result of their faithfulness to their call as a minister of the gospel? Yeah. First thing I would say is one of the best ways to go in and get fired is to try to change a bunch of stuff in the first couple of years. Hmm. So if you want a formula to get fired, that's a great one to do it. Um, then I, I start with that because I think sometimes guys get fired because they do dumb things. Hmm. Now, maybe out of ignorance, but they're going in and thinking they got to change things right away 
because they read it in a book somewhere. This is the way it's supposed to be. And they don't realize people aren't ready to follow them to make a big change. So mm. what I usually tell guys is go in and just be a faithful pastor. You know, preach the preach your heart out, preach the word faithfully, shepherd those people, get to know people. I tell you, your first year of your ministry should be focused on preaching your heart out every week and being in every home of every member of your church in the first year. Hmm. Like you just focus on that your first year and stay out of trouble. You will do fine. And But but what happens is guys go in and they get impatient, man. Patience may be the most, the greatest friend to a pastor going in to an established church because it just takes time. And by the way, uh, Jesus has specifically told us that this is how the ministry works. So I, I point to Mark 4, parable of the sower. I think it's so helpful for a pastor because what is it? It's the parable of the sower. He gives this detailed account of the, the, the seed is the word. I mean, it doesn't right. get any clearer than that. He says the seed is the word. The seed is scattered. It's sown. Mm -hmm. And then it's got to wait. You got to wait. You got to, it's got to find, is it going to find good soil? And if it does, it's got to take root and grow and grow and then sprout out of the ground and grow some more. And the fruit comes when? It comes at the end. Mm. Guys who want to preach six months and hope revival breaks out is just not being realistic. Mm. You have to preach the word, not months, but years, trusting the word is going to do that slow but powerful work. So we make a mistake. We think because the word is powerful, because it is, mm -hmm. we think because the word, word is powerful, we think it acts quickly. But I believe it's God's plan that it actually doesn't act quickly. It it's powerful, but if you read all the parables that talk about how the kingdom of God is built, it's slow, it's mm. subtle, it's hidden and mysterious. And then all of a sudden the kingdom's built. And, and, and so that is the paradigm for ministry. And we as impatient, often impatient Americans, we try to make things happen really quickly. So the best way to get fired is be... that you have, uh, uh, that you don't have to make right now. If you wait five years, six years, seven years, eight years to make some harder decisions, to make some changes you need to make in the church, they're usually so much easier because you're you're trusted, you've established yourself. But when you try to do that in the early years, so I think, honestly, man, that is one of the main ways guys usually unnecessarily get fired. But hmm. you're also asking about those who are being faithful Right. And get fired. Those are the guys that have to first evaluate, okay, I haven't done something dumb and careless that's that's created this for me. Usually when a guy's getting fired and he calls me, I'm trying to sort through, did you what did you do to bring this on? Or were you just being a faithful pastor and right. preaching the gospel and caring for people and maybe had a hard situation that you had to deal with that you didn't want to, but you had you were forced to, and that's what stirred everything up. I mean so that's a big part of the conversations that I have. But if you're that guy, which I've had several recently, who just being faithful, you've got to realize that there's churches die for a reason. Hmm. And a lot of times, a lot of times there is a few bullies, usually maybe two, three families in the church that hold a stranglehold on a church. And it's the reason the church is dying. And it's the reason the church is probably going to die. And even a faithful pastor coming in, if the church is not ready to fight with you with against the bullies, the bullies are going to win and because you don't have the credibility. Of what, no pastor a few weeks ago contacted me, fired in ten months and no reason given. Other kind of personality difference thing. It was really it was it was really 
uh, frustrating to hear about hear about that. But the the bull, the established bullies, are the ones that that fired him, and the church feel helpless to fight against them. And that pastor wasn't established long enough 10, 10 months. That's not mm-hmm. enough time to really establish to be the one to try to take on those who have held a stranglehold on the church. So many times being faithful and you get fired, you, you've got to just recognize, you know, this, this is in God's hands, right? Uh, he has something else for me. And I've got to, I've got to work through the pain. I've got to deal with, I've got to allow sadness and grief to come and allow and feel that and experience that, but then realize God's got the next place. And he's God never wastes ministry scars. That's one of the wonderful implications of Romans 8:28 for the pastor mm. that he uses everything for our good which includes every single ministry scar we would ever go through and that's a wonderful piece to the promise for us yeah no that's very well said and I just want to ask by way of follow-up because I am I am curious this wasn't uh in in the questions that I had prepared for our talk today how would you advise then maybe Men who are seeking a pastoral ministry role, is there a, are there specific things they need to look for in a church that they would want to serve in? Because sometimes it, it sounds like maybe if you go into a church knowing there's some pretty significant incompatibilities, you, you may be setting yourself up for a problem right out of the gate. What would yeah. you say to that issue? Yeah, that's a good question. Two things come to mind. Number one, uh, as far as go, plant, trying to think through going there. Um, I think that you have to be honest. If is there some significant doctrinal difference that you have that is going to be a really big ask to turn them there one day? So mm-hmm. I think a classic example: if you're a Baptist and you want to go into a Presbyterian church, <laughs> and you think to yourself, you know, I think over the years I can convince them of credo baptism, and we'll be good. That's probably a bad idea right. because it's in the deep, it's deeply in the very nature of a Presbyterian church that they're not going to see baptism the same way as a Baptist would. Mm-hmm. So I would think that's silly and a bad idea. Um, the other would be, uh, I, and I tell you guys this because the church can be a wreck and realize, you know, but you can go in and, and God's spirit can be at work and, and faithfully turn that church to more biblical model. Uh, but I think what is required is they have to see the Bible as the, the final authority. So what I would discourage is I was discourage a guy to go into a church and he's talking to the pastoral search team, whoever that is. And they look at you and go, yeah, you know, I mean, the Bible's good. We, we like the Bible, but we also think there's just as much value and wisdom in the Quran as there is the Bible. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> you know, that's an extreme example to make a point. Yeah. Okay. So right, in right. other words, the reason this, this is a deal breaker is because when you go in and you're going to preach, hopefully faithfully, and shepherd these people, but you're not going in on any authority. Just because you have a salary now and a seminary degree doesn't mean you have any more authority. Right. The authority has to come from God's Word, and that's what we go minister to, minister to the people. So the, the Word has to shape people, and, and that's got to be the authority that then makes us move in a more healthy direction. Mm-hmm. If they don't agree with you that the one thing that tells you what that authority is is something different, then you don't have anything to stand on. So you could go preach your heart out. But if if you are, if you're saying the Bible is what is our guide to help us know how to do this and they say no it's not, it's mm-hmm. something else, I would discourage going because you don't have anything to stand on to even to begin to establish your ministry. That's a good word. The, la- the last thing I would say on this is I do tell guys when they're trying to evaluate whether they go somewhere and this is I think across the board. If you're not willing to go stay a minimum of 5 years, don't go. Hmm. 
So you got to be willing to go stay five years because I believe most, I think it takes five years to establish your ministry in any church. So if you leave inside of five years, which plenty of guys have reasons to leave inside of five years, I'm, I'm not God. I can't tell them that's a, that's wrong or a bad thing to do, but here's what I do say. If you leave inside of five years, uh, every, all of your good ministry you did will probably be undone within six months. So it takes five years to become the pastor, to be, to grow, to be trusted and for your ministry to get established. So I tell guys, don't go unless you're willing to stay five years at least. No, that's very helpful. Very helpful. Um, Brian, we talked a little bit about your work with practical shepherding at the beginning of our discussion, and I'm hearing plenty of echoes to some of the work and resources you've produced through that ministry uh, over the past few years. Um, and it would be a disservice to our listeners to not get them acquainted with and exposed to the work you're doing with practical shepherding. Um, so maybe if you would be willing to do so, just spend a few moments to talk about what the Lord uh, is doing in and through that ministry, um, how it's allowed you to be a pastor to pastors, as it were, and um, maybe just some of the other ministries that you're involved with right now um, that, that are either supplemental to practical shepherding or kind of an entailment of it. I think it would be edifying for our listeners just to uh, hear what you have to say there. Sure. So the best way to learn about practical shepherding is go to practicalshepherding.com. That's our website. Best way to learn about it. It's a very maneuverable website. But our ministry started about 15 years ago in those early hard years at my church. So again, I mean, but the providence of God is at work in ways we don't know and see. I had no idea that a ministry was being shaped in those really hard years that I was just trying to survive. But that's what was happening. And it started out of me just training some young guys for the ministry. So I'm taking them to hospitals with me. I'm taking them to the funeral homes. I'm taking them to the widow's homes, teaching them how to actually shepherd the flock. Mm -hmm. And it turned into a book. Eventually, they had asked me to write some stuff down. I wasn't a writer, but I had a lot of help. Somebody helped me write this little tiny book on hospital visitation called Visit the Sick. And uh, that ended up getting a lot of traction, exposed a gaping hole in practical resources for pastors. And mm -hmm. that opened opportunities to write more. So we started creating resources, practical ministry resources on how to how to do ministry in a way that seminaries just don't teach you how to do ministry, but you got to learn how uh, to shepherd people. About four or five years into this, uh, a second lane opened up as guys were reaching out to us saying, hey, will you help me think through this funeral and whatever? They would also say, hey, by the way, my marriage is struggling and I don't have anybody to talk to. Can I maybe mm. talk to you about that? And hey, I'm so depressed. I can't get out of bed. Can I talk to you about maybe what's going on? So the second lane of practical shepherding opened up of caring for pastors. And mm -hmm. so I would say now that's really what practical shepherding is. It's these two lanes of practical training and caring for pastors. And we do that in our, our model has three, like this holistic approach, the pastor's soul, the pastor's ministry, and the pastor's family. Those are the three areas. You have to care for a pastor's soul. He's got to know how to care for himself and prioritize that. He's got to know how to shepherd people. That's his ministry he's called to. And the third is family. He's got to prioritize caring for his family to even qualify to stay right. in the ministry. So that's, we call this a holistic approach. And we believe all three of those areas have to thrive in a pastor's life for him to truly thrive. Everything we do from practical shepherding, whether it's books, events, counseling, mentoring, we even have a cabin you can come stay at for free uh, that's here in Kentucky. That's a part of our ministry. All of that revolves around soul ministry family. Mm. That's wonderful. And, uh, I've never been, but from what I can see online, the cabin and the property on which it sits looks absolutely incredible. So um, 
might be a good sabbatical opportunity for some of our listeners who are who are, who are pastors and, and are wanting to get away uh, for some rest and, um, and and some family time with your wife. I don't think kids can go though, right? It's just for a pastor and wife. It's per it's purposely for a pastor or a pastor and his wife. You can't bring your kids. That's intentional. But if you go online, go to practicalshepherding.com, go to the shepherd's house. It's called the shepherd's house. Go to that link. You can apply to stay. And you can, if you get yourself here, you can stay two days, two nights for free in a six-bedroom cabin on 180 acres of beautiful Kentucky woods. Like, it's it's spectacular. Mm-hmm. Uh, a family owns it, and they partner with us to let us let pastors come and stay here. So it's been a really cool thing. There's no strings attached. It really is free. You just got to apply to come stay, get the dates uh, reserved, and, and then get yourself here. Praise the Lord. Well, it's been a wonderful time uh, discussing with Brian Croft about faithfulness and pastoral ministry. And Brian, as we prepare to wrap up our time together, uh, are there any final words of encouragement or maybe even words of warning that you would want to leave our listeners with, particularly those who are currently in pastoral ministry or aspiring to enter into pastoral ministry someday? Uh, Maybe one word of encouragement, one word of warning that you haven't yet shared with our listeners. Okay, well, I'm not sure how to categorize them, but here's two things, okay? Um, okay. Maybe the best advice I ever got was there's always another ministry, but you only get one wife. Mm. So I would encourage you to make decisions in your life and ministry like that's true. You can always regroup and go into another ministry, uh, but it's a lot harder to do that with marriage. So um, your wife is to be your priority. And I would encourage you to um, to function in that way in your ministry. There's always another ministry. You only get one wife. The other thing I would say is uh, to prioritize caring for yourself. Nobody knows how to care for you like you do. And it is an incredible irony that we give our lives to shepherd the souls of other people at the expense of our own. Mm. And that's not the way it's designed. That's why he says pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in Acts 20, 28. So right. I, that would be the other warning and just encouragement I would say is, is make sure you are prioritizing caring for yourself. The more you are filled up, the more you have to be able to pour out for others. Very well said, Brian. I have no doubt that everything that we've discussed today will be of great value to uh, the, the listeners who take the time to uh, hear what you have to say. And, and for those who are wanting to learn more about practical shepherding, please go and visit uh, the website. There's a lot of great resources and um, and uh, information that you can find through uh, the website. But thank you, Brian, again, for coming on today's show. I wish you nothing but the best in your ongoing ministry endeavors. And please know uh, that the Lord has used you profoundly in my life and in the lives of so many uh, who are going to be listening to today's episode. So thank you, brother. Thanks for your encouragement. Great to be with you. Yes, sir. And to our listeners, we want to say thank you again for your continued support of the Covenant Podcast. And until next time, we wish you grace and peace. God bless.